leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And we've seen through those events that we actually are the ones that are on trial while these events are taking place. We, you know, uh, we actually are the ones who were guilty, but Jesus went through all that he went through instead of you. And he did that for you. He did that for me. Today we're going to continue to look at that uh, by looking at the crucifixion today. And we're going to look at how we respond to that, uh, concluded by receiving the sacrament of communion together this morning before we go. Uh, so let's dig right in. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week here in chapter 27, picking it up at verse 26. We're not going to read the entire account of this today, but instead we're going to focus on a few points uh, of what Jesus went through uh, instead of you. So we're going to pick it up reading at verse 26 uh, there in chapter 27. It says, But he had Jesus flogged, speaking of Pilate that we uh, saw last week, uh, had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when we read this story, when we read of the events that are taking place, sometimes we just kind of breeze right through uh, this moment and actually focus more on the cross uh, you know, I mentioned to you last week that uh, you will find the gospel writers uh, in telling of these events that took place leading up to the cross. They, they really didn't go into a lot of the gory details and give us a lot of specifics to that because when it was all said and done and they were right, you know, they were recording exactly what took place, they knew that that wasn't really the most important thing that took place in this event. And so it's almost as if they just kind of, you know, themselves in writing and recording this just kind of breeze right through uh, this moment. But we have to understand that this part was equally cruel and gruesome what Jesus went through here. In verse 26, we just see uh, Matthew mentioned almost, you know, in passing here, but he had Jesus flogged and he handed him over to be crucified. Right? Not a lot of details there. But we need to understand the physical violence that took place in that moment. These Romans, I shared with you a few weeks ago, they had been trained and they had perfected how to inflict the most amount of pain on a human being that they could uh, go through uh, without killing them, okay? Uh, they, they had it down to a science. They, it, it was, you know, something that they studied and they knew exactly the amount of torture that they could inflict on someone without actually killing them or even causing them to go unconscious. And in this flogging, scholars tell us that they would have used uh, what is known as a, a cat of nine tails, basically a whip type thing that would have a handle. It would have nine different strands uh, of whip-like material coming off of it. In those leather strands would have been woven pieces of metal, uh, metal balls. It would have been bone fragments that would have also been woven into this leather that would have been used in this flogging. Jesus would have been stripped. During this flogging, Jesus would have been stripped of his clothes. His hands would have been tied high over his head to a pole. The reason for that was to stretch the skin 
to get the skin to be tight across the back and across uh, the rib cage. Uh, and, the, and the skin, when it was tight like that, was more susceptible to being ripped, to being cut, to exposing the, the, the muscles that were there and, and being gruesomely. Uh, that's not even a word. Gruesomely? Huh? You, you get the drift of how bad it was, right? And, and, and so here in verse 27 where it says the whole company of soldiers, well, we need to understand that this would have been 20 to 30 Roman soldiers that would have been gathered around Jesus there. They would have circled him like an angry mob, like a, 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 you know, a, a bunch of bullies picking on this one little innocent child on the playground. But it would have been 20 to 30 angry Roman soldiers trained in doing what they do in mocking and kicking and punching and spitting uh, on him uh, in this in this mob-like scenario, they were delighting in his pain. They were enjoying the moment as they inflict this torture on our Savior, beating him until he was barely conscious. Right? Verse 31 says that after they had done this and after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Now, we know uh, that the, the cross beam that they would have placed upon his back and shoulders that he would have been forced to carry would have weighed around 200 pounds. Think about after having uh, your arms raised above you and tied off, going through this flogging with the cat of nine tails, going through the beatings that he had gone through with these 20 to 30 Roman soldiers. Can you imagine at that point having a 200-pound uh, rough-cut wood beam placed across your shoulders to carry in your, your raw back and, and, and you know it would have been uh, this would have been a cross beam that have, would have been used before basically a recycled beam some others would have been crucified on this so there would have been you know the flesh uh, still attached to it from the previous criminal uh, that had been crucified and Jesus had this placed upon his back with the, the rough lumber and, and those some of you know what I'm talking about, rough lumbers just filled with splinters, and he's carrying that across a back that's already been ripped to, to shreds. He would have been par paraded through the streets carrying uh, his cross with people cheering and people cursing him and spitting at him, reaching out to hit him and to kick him as he would find his way through the streets there. Verse 33 says, They then came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The Latin word for that was Calvaria, which is where we get the word Calvary, where we know that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. And then there in verse 35, we see the actual crucifixion uh, begin. And again, this crucifixion was designed to keep the victim alive. Now, you know, it was designed to ultimately kill them, but in the process to keep them alive, to keep the person alive as long as they possibly could, inflicting the most excruciating pain and torment that someone could possibly endure. Scholars, uh, medical professionals tell us that this form of crucifixion would have induced 
all kinds of effects upon the body. Uh, he, the, uh, Jesus would have faced extreme times of dizziness, uh, of muscle cramps, of stomach cramps, of dehydration, of course, of, uh, of being you know, sleepless and being totally exhausted. Uh, he would have experienced hunger, uh, uh, traumatic fever, humiliation, and shame, the piercing wounds that he would have on his body from the nails that were uh, driven into his, his feet and hands. Every time he would have moved a muscle, it would have been like burning fire through those uh, wounds that he had there. The Romans had perfected this torture to a science. And I really don't have time to go into all the, uh, the details and the medical explanation of how it happened. Uh, I encourage you, there's plenty of information out there available if you want to know exactly what it was like to be crucified, uh, the, the events that would take place within the body and the lungs and the heart and, and all of that. But we don't have time to go into that today. But what I do want you to understand is that this was the most extreme form of torture that a human being could possibly go through at the time. And this is what Jesus was pointing to at the last supper that he had with his disciples. We saw it earlier in week one uh, there. Jesus was pointing to this event at the last supper when he took that bread and he took the cup and he held it up to his disciples and he said, this bread represents my body which will be boot beaten and bruised and broken for you. This cup represents the blood that will be shed for you on Calvary. The blood that will be spilled out for you as I undergo and go through uh, everything that you deserve. But I'm going to go through that with you. And this bread represents my body. This cup represents uh, my blood. And, and, and the cup of wrath that Jesus voluntarily drank so that you and I might be saved so that you and I could have life and have life eternally. He was wounded for your transgressions, not his own. He was wounded for our transgressions, for your acts of rebellion, for the fact that you didn't want God to be in control, but you wanted to be in control. And he was wounded for that. He was punished for that instead of you, for those things and those kinds of attitudes that we would have and those stripes that were put there on his back by those cats of nine tail during that flogging. It was by those stripes that you would be healed. It was by those stripes that we could be saved. And he was taking all of this. He was enduring all of this. He was going through all of this for you and, and for me, uh, all this humiliation and pain instead of you. He absorbed the pain and the consequences of your sin. He absorbed all of that into himself so that you could be free of that, so that you could be cleansed of that, so your sins could be forgiven. And right before Jesus died, Matthew, uh, here in his gospel, tells us that Jesus said this from the cross. Verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was a quote 
from Psalm 22 and with this reality that Jesus had been abandoned by God. His Father had turned His face away from the Son. We saw it begin in the Garden of Gethsemane a few weeks ago and it has now come to full fruition uh, here in this moment. God has turned away from His Son because that is the ultimate payment for our sin. That is exactly what hell is. It is the total abandonment and separation from God. That is hell. And Jesus experienced that here. And that's what hell actually is, is to be separated from the Father and abandoned by the Father. And then in verse 50, it says, And then, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Now the goose, the gospel, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Luke tells us exactly what was said here in this moment. In English, it was three words: "It is finished." But in the Greek, the way that it's recorded, it was actually just one word that God spoke, and the word that He cried out was "tetelestai." It was actually a very common word in Greek. In fact, archaeologists tell us that they found that word scribbled across tax receipts when someone had paid their tax bill, and basically it meant, it is paid. Jesus uses a very common term as one of his last words that he spoke from the cross when he said in a loud voice, It has been paid. You have no more debt that you owe. Every bit has been paid in full. Your debt has been cleared, and I have paid it instead of you. <laughs> he had been cursed for your sin. He had been stripped naked for your sin. He had been flogged for your sin. He had been abandoned by His Father for your sin. He was humiliated in your place. He was accused in your place. He was condemned in your place. He was beaten in your place. And He died in your place and my place. And salvation is a free gift. <laughs> it's a free gift to all who simply put their trust in Jesus and what He went through for your sin instead of you. And that's what happened. That's how it happened and that's what happened. And so I want to look at a couple of ways that we can see ourselves and maybe find ourselves in this story and how it is that we respond to the cross. And so first, I want to look at the suffering criminals. 
who were on each side of Jesus there on Golgotha, who raged against him, raged against God. Verse 38 through 40, which we skipped earlier, tells us about the two criminals that were on the left and the right of Jesus who were crucified beside him that day. In verse 40, they say, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And now, according to, to Luke, we, we learn and we find that one of these uh, criminals, as the crucifixion continues and, and goes on, eventually he has a change of heart and he has an understanding of who Jesus really is and what's taking place there. But what Matthew is showing us here in his gospel is that at the beginning, both of these criminals are raging against Jesus and calling him a fraud calling him a phony because he won't save himself and them. And these criminals today, they represent people. Don't miss this. They represent people who are in pain. And they curse God for not delivering them from their pain. And they think and they say things like this. If you really are who you say you are, you would stop this. God, if you really are who you say you are, I wouldn't be going through this. God, if you really are who you say you are, then you would give me some relief from this pain. Think about it. Think about these two men. They're being crucified. They're about to die on a cross. They are experiencing a a lot of the same things that Jesus is going through, about to suffocate, the blood, all the the symptoms and signs of the crucifixion. These two men were going through. And if you were dying like these two men in agony, why would you use what little oxygen you have in your lungs? Why would you use what strength or energy you had left in your body just to hurl insults at the man who's being crucified beside you? Why would you do that? Why would they do that? And and I'll tell you why. Because when you're in pain, nothing makes you angrier than the idea of a God who could fix it or relieve that pain, and he doesn't. There's nothing that will make you more angry than believing in a God who can make it all go away and make it all be okay, but doesn't. And and so I, I want you to see that in these two men, every single one of us who has ever raged against God in a moment of pain and asked, God, if you are who you say you are, if you are who you say you are, Why don't you fix this? Why don't you make this go away? Maybe you're not God at all. Maybe you don't really exist. Because if you were the God that I know that you are, this could all be resolved quickly and go away. And now, like I said, one of these criminals came around. And what he said when he did, I think is so important because it shows us what real repentance looks like. 
Well, what it truly looks like, Luke tells us that he says to the other criminal, you know, the suffering that we're going through, we deserve. He tells the other one, he says, you know, what we're going through here, we, we totally deserve. But this man, he's innocent. He does not deserve what is happening to him. He is dying for us. And, and folks, this is the confession of every person who repents in faith. This is the confession. They basically come to a place where they acknowledge, I deserve my suffering, but Jesus didn't. (laughs) He didn't. He didn't deserve that. And so we have two options in, in looking at the cross. We have two options in looking at the pain. One is we can look at it and say that Jesus is not really who he says he is, and he lacks the power to save you. You know, Jesus, if you really are God, if you really are who you say you are, then you would save yourself and you would save me from this, whatever it is I'm in right now. That's one option. The second option is this. You can look at the cross and say, wow, he really does love me. He really does care about me. In my future. Look. He's dying for me. Instead of me. So that I can be saved forever. And so we see two criminals here. That are raging against and questioning God. But I want to move our attention to the second thing that we see here, and that's creation. All of creation. Trembling under the weight of His glory being displayed. Verse 45 says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. The earth shook. The rocks split. Don't miss this because Matthew is telling us that it's as if creation itself has to respond to what's happening. Creation itself has to respond to what it's seeing. Think about it. Something quakes when it encounters a force that it can't withstand. Think about an earthquake. Uh, what's causing that? It's when there, there, there's a force that's up against something that can't be withstood. And it's like creation itself cannot sustain the weight and the magnitude of the moment. It can't uh, sustain the weight of the glory that is being put on display here in this moment. And so it's like the sun has to turn itself away. And the earth itself cannot, with, uh, cannot stand it. It has to respond. <laughs> and I point this out to show you what Matthew is basically saying here in the text. The cross demands some kind of response from you. It demands a response. From all of creation, you can't simply look at these things and pass on by and ignore them. You have to ask yourself, was this true? Was this true? Because if this is true, 
It means that the God who created everything, the God who created you, the God who created it all, came down and took the penalty of sin, bore the penalty of your sin in your place instead of you so that you could be saved and have life forever. And if that is true, it changes everything. (laughs) It will change you because it changes all of creation under the weight of His glory. And so you have got to decide whether it's true or whether it's not. It's your decision. And a lot of us are here today because we say, oh yeah, it's true, I believe it. But we just kind of are passing in the moment because it's that time of year for us to remind ourselves of the history of Jesus. It won't just change you at Easter. It demands a response every single day in your life. All of creation must respond It deserves more than just passing by like it's some sort of fairy tale or history lesson. You either quake in its presence or you ignore it. And I just want to talk to followers of Jesus this morning. We've given a lot of people an opportunity over the past several weeks to accept Christ. But this morning I want to talk to the believers because that's what the table is about. It's when believers come to the table to remember And to identify with Christ. But believer, do you understand this morning that this demands a response from you? Not just a one time. I'm good and I'm done. I made the decision. I'm good now. You know, do you understand how insulting it must be? To a God who sent his only son to go through these events that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Can you imagine how insulting it is to a father who sent his son for you and for us to sit in a place and hear about these things and remain unmoved by them? Or maybe to sing about them while barely moving our lips with our hands in our pockets with expressionless faces. These things demand a response and not even creation can withstand the weight of the glory that's been put on display. And Matthew is saying it demands a response. It demands something from you. And by the way, what does it say? I sound angry, don't I? I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm just passionate. Golly, I was watching some of y'all worship, and yeah, that made me angry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Y'all were horrible. But what does it say to our guests that come in here? What, what does it say to people who come in here that don't know Jesus and don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we're standing here with bored looks on our faces? You know, singing about the most glorious thing that ever happened in the entire universe as if it's some trivial story from the past. I mean, what does it say to them? It it demands some kind of response. This is the kind of glory 
that he displayed. And, and this right here is the kind of response that he deserves. And, and if you read on here, you'll see that <laughs> even dead people couldn't contain themselves. I, I, I don't have this on the screen, but I just want to read it. It says, The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Honestly, y'all, I'm not real sure what to do with that verse. (laughs) I have no idea what that was like. Or why we don't include that in the Easter story that we teach the kids. I believe I know why, because you can't explain it. But what that tells us, and don't miss this, is that even some of the dead people couldn't contain themselves for what was taking place. Even the dead couldn't contain themselves. Some of the dead people were jumping out of their graves and they had to run around leaping and praising and telling people, right? Listen, those of you who have been raised from the dead by the grace of Jesus Christ, can you really hold yourself back from praising God in worship? Can you? Oh, how I wish some dead people would come in here and run around. We probably wouldn't have 20 people back next week, but it would it'd be weird. And what they do when they come out of the graves? I mean, they just didn't stand there and jump at the grave. They went into town. They had to tell somebody. They had to share it. And if that's what the dead were doing then, that's exactly how those of us who are alive in Christ today ought to be. I'm done. I mean, I'm done. I'm done. So... (laughs) We're about to take a minute. But, but folks, don't miss this. The idea of this whole thing. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. His body was broken instead of you. His body, his blood was shed instead of yours. And that demands a response. And this morning, as we close as, as followers of Jesus... As those of us who call ourselves Christians, our response to it today is going to be in identifying through what Jesus told us to do. He said, break the bread and and take the cup and do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of what I did not only for you, but instead of you. That's why this is called the sacrament of holy communion because it's truly special it's truly something special that we do together as the family of God and I want to ask our ushers if they would to come back at this time and and, and help us distribute the elements this morning but as they're coming and and getting ready I, I just want to tell you the church of the Nazarene does not require you to be a member of our church to receive communion, okay? I want you to know that. 
The only requirements that we find in Scripture is that you're a child of the King, that you're a member of His church. You've accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, and you profess Him to be Jesus, the Messiah. So if you've accepted Him this morning and you've allowed Christ to be Lord over your life, then you're invited You're invited to participate as we receive these elements today. If you've re- believed and received Jesus as your personal Savior, you're invited to join us today. And so this morning I want to ask our ushers if they would to distribute. If you have children with you and you would like for them to partake in this so that they can learn what it's all about, uh, I'm going to leave that up to you. This morning, if you'd like to participate in communion, just take the elements there and hold them until you receive further instruction. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, that He that sacred head for sinners such as I at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight And now I am happy all the day. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself. at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day at the cross at the cross where I saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day
this morning as we come together to the table. If you'll peel back the uh, clear wrapper, and I know these can be a little contrary at time, but if you'll just peel back the clear wrapper, it will expose the unleavened bread that's there. Please remove that bread at this time. If someone around you needs assistance, please take a moment to help them. I know these can be difficult. But Jesus said this about the bread that you're holding. He was there with his disciples for the last time in the upper room. And he held the bread up and he said, This is my body. This is my body that was broken, that will be broken for you. And he says, take this and eat and do it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, let's eat the bread and let's remember Christ's body, which was broken instead of you. And it's by his wounds that we are healed and we are saved. Let's eat. Now peel back the full layer to expose the juice. Jesus said this about the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you do it, he says, drink this in remembrance of me. So this morning, as the body of Christ, let's drink of the cup. And remember the blood that was shed so that our sins could be forgiven. Now before we dismiss this morning, I want you to uh, understand what's going to happen next week. We're going to have a great celebration of a risen Savior. Our God's not dead. And so we're going to celebrate Him. And then at the end of each service, we're going to celebrate with several who are coming to be baptized as a public profession uh, of their faith. We have two people scheduled to be uh, baptized in the Saturday night service and have ten scheduled. For the Sunday morning service. And if you have accepted Christ as your Savior and you have not been baptized, I want you to listen closely to me this morning and right now. The first identification that you make, that you're asked to make when you accept Christ is through baptism. Your first act of obedience as a Christian is to identify yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's your first act of faith, 
your first step of obedience. That is what baptism is. It identifies you publicly. It represents the, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And so your baptism is, is you're identifying with Christ, that you're a follower of Christ, and this is what has happened to you. Oh, over the past few weeks, we have looked at all of these events of what Jesus went through. He did it all instead of you, and he did it in public. He did it in a very public way so that all of the world would know and see. How could we understand the magnitude of what Jesus did for us and not follow his first clear act of obedience that he asked us to be baptized. Baptism is, is your public identification with him. And so my question to you is this, have you ever done that? And if you haven't, why not? Why not? Because we're going to give you a chance to do that next week. And, and, you know, the time for obedience for you is right now. It's here. And, and taking that next step. And so some of you need to do that. Some of you need to do that. Several have already planned on it. And so here's what re- is really cool about that. You don't have to do it alone. <laughs> All right. So I'm praying this week that God would give you the courage to take the next step of faith in your walk with Him. And that's to be baptized. And we will have a great celebration next weekend with you. So you find me after service, and you come and tell me, and we'll get you scheduled and get you down and talk to you about what it means uh, to be baptized. And so we just want to celebrate that with you as a church. And next weekend would be like the epic time to do that. And so uh, let me pray for you before we go this morning. God, today again, we've been reminded of your great love for us. Of what you went through, of what you did. The abandonment that you experienced from your father during that time. Thank you for loving us enough to do that for us. To do that instead of us. So that we might have life, have an opportunity at life and word says life more abundantly and life eternally we thank you today for this reminder but God thank you also for the uh, for the challenge what you did demands a response it demands a response from all of creation and we saw that in the moment but God it wasn't just about the moment but it's about every day that we walk out in this world representing you calling ourselves Christians calling ourselves followers of Jesus people are looking at us to see you it's in our kids that we often see how their parents look and how their parents act I pray that as we go out into this world that this world would see how our daddy looks and how our daddy acts And it's quick to extend forgiveness. It's quick to extend grace. It's quick to love on those that are unlovable. So God, I pray that as your children go out from this place, that we would represent you in a way that glorifies what you've done. Because what you have done demands a response from us. Not just once a year, not just once in a lifetime, but every single day. 
we're called to go out and make disciples and to love our neighbor. And so, God, I pray that you would find us faithful doing that. I pray that as this week, as we go through this Passion Week and we have an opportunity on Friday to just love on our community, God, I pray that uh, they would just ask why. Why are we being so generous? Why are we loving on people that we don't even know? And they would, uh, through that, question who it is that causes us to be the way we are, where that generosity comes from. And they'd be curious about you. And so, God, we pray that as we go through Friday that we'd just love on people the way you love on people. God, as we enter into Saturday and Sunday and we have services planned for great celebration, God, we also know there will be a lot of people that will be coming here that uh, just come once or twice a year. Kind of a tip of the hat to society and what society around here says we should be doing. But God, I pray that as they enter into this place, that the spirit of a living God would draw them to you. And as we celebrate a risen Savior, God, we would have the opportunity to celebrate new souls entering into the kingdom of God whose lives will be changed for all of eternity. And that's what it's all about. And so I pray that you'll be with us as we plan and prepare, that you would guide us, that it would be exactly what you want it to be. The word would be presented the way that it would most be effective and that souls would be drawn souls would be saved and enter into the kingdom of God and as we celebrate with those coming forward to be baptized God we celebrate you we celebrate what you have done and who you are and how you've changed lives not just for a short time but for all of eternity so God we're so blessed we're so grateful we're so thankful and we love you so much it's in Jesus name that we pray amen God bless you guys I love you I can't wait to see you next week